Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, as the Bucks pick up a, uh, what I would say is a really, really entertaining win. I think the fact that it's the Sixers helps. I don't know. It, it feels like maybe if the Bucks have a number one rival, it's out of them or the Celtics right now. Uh, the Bucks and the Sixers haven't quite had the playoff battles that they, they have with the Celtics, but I would say that it counts that these two don't necessarily like each other. And uh, it always helps tonight when you got a classic performance from Giannis. He finished with 36 points, 20 rebounds, six assists. Uh, this wasn't all easy for the Bucks, Frank, but uh, they managed to have a, a, a really classic third quarter burst and, and bust this one open. Yeah, it was a pretty low-scoring game there, especially in the first quarter. Bucks really struggling from deep. I think they were what two of fourteen at one point, yeah. um, and you know finished twelve out of thirty-seven. Uh, so obviously they they kind of got going a little bit, but you know I mean you know, ten out of their last uh, twenty-three, I guess, uh, which obviously kind of made it a bit a bit more respectable. Um, but Philly, I mean you know Sixers, uh, you know ultimately put up uh, only a 96.7 offensive rating, 101 points. But remarkably, they shot 19 out of 45 from three. I mean, they, were, yeah, they weren't yeah. far off the pace that they were at on Christmas Day. Uh, but the big difference was the Bucks getting back to kind of, well, getting back to relative to the previous Sixer game, getting back to their dominance um, inside in terms of two-point differential. 48, not a huge night inside necessarily for the Bucks. 48 points uh, in the paint, but just 30 allowed. Uh, against the Sixers. And of course, you look at Joel Embiid's stat line, six out of 26 from the field, three out of 10 from three. So he actually made some threes eventually in the second half. Um, but, you know, much like Giannis had a very uncharacteristic shooting performance uh, on Christmas, eight out of 27. Uh, Embiid was even worse today, just those six out of 26. And, you know, three out of 16 inside the arc. I mean, that's pretty incredible, um, you know, kind of stuff that he normally is able to uh, convince the referees to call fouls on. He does his flailing stuff. Uh, refs weren't going for it today. And uh, there was definitely some frustration in the first half, whereas, um, you know, Giannis was aggressive early and, and really throughout. And uh, Chris Middleton, I thought, really grew into this game as it went on. He had a kind of a slow start and then really started making shots was a big part of that uh, run you mentioned in the third quarter. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, maybe not the uh, complete ass-kicking that the Bucks may have wanted to deliver, but – uh, you know, definitely a comprehensive, uh, clear victory. And, uh, you know, certainly Philly hung around for a bit, uh, which I guess is good for them on the road these days. Uh, yeah. But I think certainly if you're the Bucks, you know, you have to feel pretty good, obviously, to, uh, you know, get back on track against Philly. Giannis have a monster game after his struggles. And um, obviously seeing the, the shoe on the other foot with Embiid being the one to struggle was uh, a little bit more enjoyable, I'd say, for Bucks fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is the really crazy thing when you look at the box score. And even through the night, uh, as the Bucks were really taking control of this one in the third quarter, you were like, well, the Sixers are still hitting threes and they're hanging around here. And you touched on the fact that it wasn't far off Christmas. So they made 21 threes on Christmas Day. They made 19 tonight. So uh, those two performances are still the most threes they've made in, in any game this season. Tonight was the second uh, highest uh, amount of threes they made in a game. It only falls short of that Christmas Day game, uh, except this time <laughs> the, the score is reversed and it's the Bucks that get a double-digit win. And this is very, very unusual. We know that the Bucks give up threes and we know that they were very <laughs> happy seemingly to let Al Horford stand out there and fire away all night long. And while the Sixers were... Uh, you know, knocking them down. I think the big thing for me when I look at the matchup between uh, Giannis and Embiid, I think that the the roles sort of switched throughout the game. And I agree with you. There was definitely some frustration from Embiid. There was a couple of times there uh, where I actually thought he was going to pick up a tech for sort of 
remonstrating with the official after a non-call. But early in this one, I was looking at Giannis and I was like, well, okay. Uh, he's airballed a couple of threes here. He had another jump shot that uh, was waved off because of an offensive foul. But it was very, very close to a, an airball as well. All this in the first quarter. And I was thinking, well, geez, he's, he's really taking the bait at the moment. And Joel Embiid is backing right up into the paint, right up into the restricted area. And Giannis shot, he does not look confident. And I don't know what the mental aspect of this is with Giannis when we see a team... I don't know if we've seen a team like Embiid sag that far off him on the perimeter. Uh, Giannis still only goes one for seven from three, but it looked like there just was a point in the game where Giannis was just like, stuff this. If, you, if you're just going to do this, I'm just going to keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. We saw a couple of nice moves early in the game with an, an, an up and under in particular for his first basket. But uh, as the game wore on, uh, Al Horford, was not able to slow him down at all. He looks like he has lost a step or two defensively. And we know he hasn't had a great year, but even Embiid, uh, we always talk about the conditioning of Embiid and is he fit enough to go up and down? He went the other way. And by the end of the game, all he was interested in doing was jogging to the three-point line and jacking them up. I, I think you really saw the difference between the two guys tonight, uh, conditioning-wise. And, and Giannis just wore these guys down until they weren't willing to even uh, bother defending him anymore. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is the most important part of his mental fitness routine. He says... Getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That's calm.com slash locked on NBA. Yeah, Embiid, um, it was interesting. I mean, it, he doesn't really jump much on his three-pointers anyway. I mean, he's kind of a more of a set shot guy. Uh, but it felt like even it was even less pronounced tonight. Um, he, he just did seem... He just seemed tired and worn down, and I don't know. I mean, there's just been so much noise coming out of the, the Sixers camp of late, and it just seems like they're in just kind of a rut. And obviously with him not being able to get foul calls early, um, you know, there was a lot of frustration pent up, and then he's missing all these shots, you know, understandably. Uh, he was did not appear to be in a good headspace for much of this game, but <clears throat> I mean, to his credit, he, um, I think he, you know, he, he definitely grew into the game a bit. Um, as, as it went along in the second half, he was much better. Um, got at least some stuff to go inside and then hit some threes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, this is a thing, right? I mean, Embiid last year, you know, last two games, he was, you know, pretty much guarding Giannis when, when they were both in the game. And as we've said many times, you know, Giannis scored 52 and 45 in those last two games. And it's not just because he was just blowing by Embiid the whole game. I think Embiid actually showed – similar kind of you know capability as we saw uh in that december game but um you know they just had a harder time in december kind of moving on us around and obviously probably missed some shots that, that he normally makes so um you know pride tonight was much more the uh you know the usual Giannis we would expect even against mb you know just looking back at kind of previous history and yeah. um, as you mentioned he um and, and here's the thing right i mean it's like horford has had some good games defensively but um, you know, I view Orford as he's a good kind of tip of the spear defender against Giannis, but ultimately it's always going to be about the team defense, right? And I think that's what Boston did well in one game <laughs> last year yeah, exactly. in, in the first game. Um, but it's not like they took Orford off of Giannis thereafter and Giannis just kind of did whatever he wanted the rest of that series. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say at this point, Horford's rep as a, you know, Giannis stopper has probably been greatly exaggerated. Um, and, you know, again, Probably pretty much anybody that you try to claim as a Giannis stopper ain't a Giannis stopper. <laughs> you know, that, that, I don't think that really exists. It's really about the, the team defense. And um, obviously tonight uh, you have to give Giannis a lot of credit for the aggression. And did hit a, a couple jump shots. 
um, in this game uh, that, you know, I think maybe were a little bit pressure release valve shots and did hit the three um, in the, I guess it was in the fourth quarter, which, you know, I think uh, was when Philly was, you know, was hanging around. Um, And I think that was a big part of, you know, the story of the game overall is just, when things got a little hairy, you know, when Philly got to like six or seven a couple of times, um, you know, they were able to get big shots from a number of different guys. You know, Middleton has a four-point play on Simmons closing out and fouling him. Giannis hit that three. Uh, Eric Bledsoe uh, also hit uh, a couple of deep shots uh, at the end of the third quarter as well as uh, in the fourth quarter, which was obviously very good to see because there were kind of some definitely some more iffy moments from Bledsoe tonight. He ends up with 14 points on 14 shots, eight boards, six assists, two steals. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, again, interesting also to note Giannis 35 minutes, Chris 35 minutes, blood, so 33 minutes. So, um, you know, that, that would have been under there, uh, under Giannis and Middleton's averages uh, during the Jason Kidd days. But certainly under Bud, it was like, oh, okay, playing him a bit longer, stretching him out a bit longer. And um, I thought the Giannis substitution patterns were especially interesting because he went to the bench very early for very short rests in both the first and third quarters uh, and then came back and played longer. And I'm not sure if that was in order to try to get more of uh, an offset so he could go longer when Embiid would go off. But, um, you know, obviously can't, can't argue with the results. Giannis 36 on 25 shots and plus 18. So um, not, not sure if that's, if that was more of a matchup thing. It did seem like Bud was more cognizant of matchups tonight. Like it feels like normally, you know, he's going to trot out Ursan at the same time, regardless of who's on the floor tonight. It seemed like he didn't want to, it seemed like he wanted to make sure that Ursan was not out there trying to defend Ben Simmons or somebody that he couldn't guard. And, you know, ultimately we only saw Ursan for seven minutes. We only saw him in the first half and then um, they went away from him entirely in the second half, which I mean, we've seen that a fair bit where he'll just say, all right, there's nobody for Ursan to guard in this game, which I appreciate. And he admits that. Um, but uh, tonight was a, another one of those games. And um, interesting to see the, uh, the Bucks' best players do get a little more burned tonight. Okay, so I, I, one thing I, I do want to bring up, because I, I thought that this was probably the, the number one time or the most prominent we've seen this really have a big, uh, play a big factor in the game in a positive way. Uh, Roland Lopez, I think, has been perfectly solid all season long. We've seen uh, what he's brought defensively, and also he's, he's been a, a handy guy at times uh, with, that, with that hook shot in particular. But tonight, we really saw for mine the value of the Bucks signing a genuine five, a guy that is, is just a really, really solid body, a big body. Uh, Robin Lopez tonight uh, was really needed because when you look at the box score, 23 minutes for Brook Lopez, uh, sorry, 25 minutes for Brook Lopez, and Robin's just uh, uh, 19 minutes, 59 seconds. So basically 20 minutes. Uh, now, uh, I would say that this matchup in particular for Brook is going to be one where his minutes would probably be up a little bit. But this is something that we've spoke about, something that I certainly mentioned in the past, that last year, if this was a matchup that the Bucks got, what do you do if, if Brook Lopez gets in foul trouble early like he did tonight? So Brook picks up two fouls halfway through the first quarter. He picks up a third early in the second and then picks up his fourth in the first minute, I believe, of, of the third quarter. And you just saw the Bucks go, well, okay, I mean, this sucks. We'd like to have Brooke, Brooke out there, but uh, Joel Embiid, okay, here you go. You're gonna, you've dealt with one Lopez, now here's the other. Like, and uh, this was for mine when some of this frustration really came uh, to a head for Embiid because I think that if you're going to talk about Embiid's uh, fitness and, and his ability to get through a game against the Bucks or a series against the Bucks in, in, and maybe seven, and have that role of saying, well, okay, you're the guy that has to slow Giannis down. You're the one that's going to have him charging at you. You know that Giannis isn't going to slow down. I think uh, that played part of a factor uh, down the other end where Embiid was like, wow, I, like, shit, I, I can't even get like one breather out here on the floor without one of the Lopez brothers. That's who I have to deal with. And then I have to deal with the help on top of that. I think that uh, defensively, as much as everyone says that the Sixers built a team to uh, contend with Giannis, uh, I think we really saw the benefit tonight of the Bucks having two seven-footers out there. Uh, and, and I think that was a big factor as well. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Bucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Milwaukee Bucks fans just like you. 
Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. If your company wants to connect with Milwaukee Bucks fans that are well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to double three triple seven or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get the team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be teams where, or a lot of nights where it feels like running Robin out there is, I don't want to say overkill, but yeah, it course. feels very it feels very traditional, right? Um, but, you know, the reality is this is this is the core of the Bucks defense, right? Like they play a big, big guys who can protect the rim, and then they, you know, basically let those guys hang back, and obviously it puts more pressure on um, everybody else to defend the perimeter and get over screens and everything. But um, I thought... Yeah, I mean, there were two plays kind of kind of stick out in my mind. Um, there was that one play, I think it might have been in this early second quarter maybe or late first, uh, where Robin was defending Embiid in the, in the post and Embiid's backing down. And you know, Robin just was able to get his hand in and Embiid again just started flailing, trying to draw the foul. And Corver came in and it just ended up being, um, you know, just like this flashpoint for Embiid just feeling like, man, I can't like – I, I can't get anything going on going here. Um, and then for Brooke, um, I thought the, the play that really jumped out at me, you know, the, the Sixers, I mean, we, we joke a lot about Brett Brown and you know how, uh, and probably a lot of Bucks fans, we joke that we don't want Brett Brown to lose his job because we feel better about the Bucks odds uh, with him kind of, you know, and, and again, part of this is I think also just at, at some point, you know, coaches kind of run out of steam with, with an organization. He's obviously been there a long time, but um you know, he, they do a lot of novel things to, um, let's say, mitigate maybe some of the lack of shooting, especially from Simmons. Uh, and the fact that they obviously have a lot of a lot of big guys. I mean, you see them. I thought the the one play that that kind of stood out um, was uh, they had you know basically a a big big uh, pick and roll like five feet from the basket where um, you know Simmons and Embiid kind of had a nice little interplay, and Simmons kind of curls around and ends up. Um, it basically forces a switch from uh, Giannis defending Simmons to having to defend Embiid. And Embiid kind of was like sort of putting Giannis under the rim. Uh, Simmons throws it down to him. And again, this is all happening within probably a space of like eight feet. So it's all very crowded. Uh, and Brooke steps back. Embiid kind of hesitated for a split second and goes up for the shot. And Brooke just comes back and swats it. I thought that was just like a, you know, that was like the, the Brooke play of the game for me. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you know, again, Brooke was uh, offensively, you know, again, another 0 for 3 night from 3. I, I just, man, it's tough watching him shoot threes right now. I just, it doesn't feel like he's taking better shots than he normally does. It feels like he's still taking a lot of difficult shots. Um, and they're just, it's just, I just, you just don't expect him to go in. Um, you know, he did have a couple of other buckets uh, inside the arc that, that were, I'd say, certainly much better looking, including uh, one or two from the post. But, um, but yeah, Brooke and, and Robin sort of defensively, uh, you know, the, this is kind of the kind of matchup, obviously, where you really notice them because you've got, you know, literally the twin towers you can throw at Joel Embiid. And I don't think, you know, it's not like those guys have like some necessarily great history of, of slowing Embiid down, right? Like Marcus Soul has a long history of slowing Embiid down. Uh, I mean, I don't think Brooke, I don't think you'd look back at the last year and a half and say Brooke has necessarily had that with Embiid. But um, tonight, obviously, I think those guys again got the. I don't know. I don't want to say the benefit of of the officiating. I think you know again the officiating didn't bail Joel out when he kind of does the plays where he kind of cons guys into hitting him um, tonight. Again, they weren't just sort of automatically giving the benefit of the doubt to him. And obviously, you got to give give the low pie uh, a lot of credit for uh, you know frustrating Embiid for much of the night. So I, I did also joke during the first half that Chris Middleton was actually looking like a human out on the basketball floor and he was actually capable of missing shots. Uh, he went into halftime. He was two for eight from the field. He only had four points. And then the second half came and we saw the same old Chris that we've got used to seeing over the, well, I was going to say over the last couple of months, but, it, but really the entire season uh, after that point, 
Uh, he ends up six for nine uh, from the field. He hit all these threes, I believe. Finishes three for eight from three. Has 20 points. Uh, just a really big third quarter when he was the guy that hit those couple of threes, found his spots in the mid-range, hit a couple of those in a row. And, and that was the real stretch that the Bucks first opened up the double-digit lead. Interesting night for Chris because... Like he's a guy that Ben Simmons, if he's going to be defending him out on the perimeter, we saw a couple of times, particularly in the first half, where I was like, okay, this is this is really tough for Chris. Uh, you know, for all the things uh, we say about Ben Simmons and and particularly uh, his offensive limitations against a defense like this and the way the Bucks play defense, it really really makes life difficult for Simmons. But as a perimeter defender, I mean, there's there's no doubt in. I mean, this guy is elite. We've seen him uh, win games for the Sixers this year purely off his defense. And in the first half, he was really harassing Chris. Uh, there was a couple of times where Middleton was able to break free, and and one play in particular that stands uh, out in in my memory was where Chris was sort of just fumbling, fumbling, fumbling the ball around, and it was a completely broken play. He ended up just picking it up and just chucking chucking a lob to Giannis, and Giannis was able to finish, but. It was one of those first halves of Chris. And I was like, well, this, if, if Simmons is going to be harassing him all night, uh, this might be tough for him to break out of this. But uh, we shouldn't have doubted him because uh, yeah, we, we've seen the way he's been shooting the ball. Uh, you already mentioned the four-point play. That was in the fourth quarter when he was really rolling. But uh, Chris Middleton's ability, again, uh, this hasn't always been the case with him. This is something we've spoke about. Sometimes when he has an off night, it just turns into a, a really, really bad shooting night or or he just stops shooting altogether. Uh, I love to see him have a, have a tough, uh, yeah, just a really tough matchup defensively and be able to come through the other side and, and really spark a, a Bucks run. Uh, this guy uh, continues to impress. Yeah, I thought there were uh, one sequence in particular really stood out um, because I think it, not only spoke to Chris kind of getting into the, the flow of the game, but also uh, a way for the Bucks to attack kind of Embiid's preference to obviously sit back. Uh, I think it was consecutive possessions in the third quarter there. Um, you know, we know Joel wants to sit back on, on Giannis. And I think we talked about this after the Christmas game too, like that this is, would be a way to maybe exploit that. Um, so they basically said, all right, Joel, if you're not going to you know, come out here, um, then we're going to put Chris in pick and roll. I don't yeah. think I don't think it was Giannis uh, in the game as a screener. I think maybe it was one of the Lopez brothers. But um, but basically, just set a high screen for Chris. And you know, as good as Simmons is, and I agree, I thought he did a great job uh, defending Chris on the perimeter. He's, I mean, a really special perimeter defender, especially when you consider his size. And between him and Thibel, um, they have <laughs> two really unique, suffocating wing defenders that they can throw out there. I mean, there was I think there was one possession where. Um, I think it was a possession where Bledsoe ended up back cutting uh, when Giannis had the ball kind of in the high post. And Giannis was like just looking for somebody to pass to and like nobody could, could get separation coming off the screens to, to actually get a catch. And then finally Bledsoe kind of back cut and Giannis made a nice bounce pass and, and ended up getting a, a kind of bailout foul on, uh, on uh, Embiid for a three-point play. But uh, but yeah, I thought um, you know putting, putting Embiid in that high pick and roll where he's just going to sit back and Chris just dribbles in and just hits like, you know, whatever it was, 17 foot jump shots, just easy peasy, you know, two plays in a row, um, you know, really kind of exploiting not only the thing that Embiid had been doing, uh, not just against Giannis, but just against the Bucks bigs in particular, kind of just hanging back, uh, exploit that and, you know, use it to, uh, you know, get, basically force Simmons to have to get over a screen and then be the only, uh, only guy contesting uh, from, from the rear. And obviously Chris, uh, that quick, uh, that quick trigger. He uh, he ended up punishing him a couple times in a row, and um, I thought that was big. And you know, I, I mentioned that in that <coughs> excuse me that Bledsoe shot at the uh, end of the third quarter. I think that gave the Bucks a twelve point lead. Um, possession before that, uh, they ran a nice play. I think they had thirty eight seconds left, and so they, you know they're in a two for one situation. And Bud draws up. I think it was basically you know Corver kind of coming around a screen towards the center of the court, ends up hitting like an 18-footer, gave the Bucks back a nine-point lead. And then, again, because you ran that play, you executed it quickly, you are able to get a stop, get the ball back, and then Bledsoe eventually hits that, what was essentially a buzzer beater um, to end the third quarter and, and push the lead back to 12, which, you know, again, after uh, the, kind of the middle of that third quarter, that was sort of the theme. The Bucks maybe giving up a little bit of ground here and there. Sixers kind of hit some threes, which they hit, you know, steadily all night. Tobias, five out of six. Horford five out of 12, you know, again, 
they're not going to shoot that well typically. Um, but those two guys were, were really the danger men uh, from the three-point line and Embiid obviously hitting some as well. But uh, yeah, that kind of kept them in the game. But every time Philly had, you know, a little showed a little bit of life, uh, I thought the Bucks showed nice composure and, you know, it wasn't, wasn't just Giannis, right? It was, it was uh, some of these other guys also, I thought, contributed nicely. And, um, you know, uh, especially in that first half where guys weren't shooting well, um, you know, Robin Lopez hitting, I felt like he hit maybe that like, like kind of like ice breaking three off of Giannis dish to the corner. And, you know, I don't know. I feel like Robin's trigger finger is, is maybe a, a bit itchier than it should be uh, when he gets the ball on, in those situations. But, you know, tonight he hits two out of four from three, which was a, a very welcome change given, uh, especially given his brother has, uh, has really been struggling from out there. Yeah, I actually, I know I, we joked about this. I, it must have been like a month ago now, six weeks ago, when we sort of laughed and assumed that it was going to uh, switch around. But but seriously, I mean, Robin might end up with a higher three-point percentage uh, than Brooke at the end of the season. I mean, obviously different volumes, but it's just, uh, it's it's uh, it's one of those things. I, I think I mentioned this the other day, but we're so far into the season now that uh, I don't think Brooke's shooting's going to turn around. I mean, we, we need to probably accept that, that uh, it's the all-star break or in a few days, it's the all-star break. We're well and truly over 50 games into the season and then he just cannot uh, get it going. And as you said, uh, a lot of the shots aren't close. I mean, you, you know, you certainly aren't watching uh, Brook shoot right now and think that, that it's going to go in. So that's, uh, that's been a tough watch. But as, he, as we've all said, uh, the, what he's doing on the other end is, is more than enough to, to compensate for that right now in terms of value to the team. But just one other guy I quickly wanted to mention uh, before you can add any final thoughts. And then I, I guess we should touch on the, on the trade deadline, I guess. Uh, not a lot to talk about from a Bucks perspective, but Wes Matthews, we haven't uh, given him a, a lot of, well, there just hasn't been a lot of positive talk about Wes. He's sort of gone through one of those stretches. We've seen him as a, as a streaky shooter, and then we've seen him being really prominent defensively in big games, but of late, it's been a, a quiet run for him. But a couple of threes tonight, and we've spoke already uh, that the Bucks couldn't hit anything in that first half. Both these threes came in the first half, and they both came in important stretches. Uh, we haven't really spoke about it but the Bucks for a while in this game I, I wouldn't say that they were in trouble but they were really just hanging on it was a game of runs in the first half and Wes had a, a couple of uh, timely threes there and uh, you know as much as we talk about Joel Embiid was three for 16 from two-point range we've seen uh, Wes Matthews bodying up Al Horford a couple of times and Horford was 0 for 5 from two-point range as well uh, we know Bud has a lot of trust in him uh, defensively but uh he was great again tonight, Wes. I mean, he played his role along with DiVincenzo, also two for three from uh, three. So they got some nice comp- contributions from those role players. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to throw in here before we uh, we do, I guess, quickly uh, talk about the trade deadline here? Yeah, glad you mentioned Wes. I mean, I think against these elite teams too, I mean, Wes always ends up having to, you know, kind of eat innings uh, defensively against yeah, guys yeah. that – you know, nominally are, are bigger, stronger, you know, more talented than, than he is. Uh, but I think, you know, again, tonight, just the fact that he's strong enough and long enough, uh, you know, you kind of forget it because he's, you know, I think six four, six five, but I think he's got like, what, like six nine, six ten wingspan. I mean, he's, he's not, he's not small, right. And he's obviously very strong um, for, for a guy, his size. I mean, he's, he's thick, which is something that the Bucks kind of don't really have in, in any of the other wing defenders. So, um, you know, again, uh, we've seen it throughout the season, you know, his ability to defend different types of players, especially guys who really want to attack one-on-one and, you know, just his ability to be strong and, and, you know, not give up ground and still be able to move his feet well enough, you know, be smart enough defensively that, you know, even for his lack of, uh, uh, you know, kind of natural foot speed, it, it, you know, again, like in a half court setting, it just doesn't feel like, you know, he gets exposed nearly as much as, you kind of would expect to, right? Which is um, uh, a big credit to him. So, yeah, kudos to uh, kudos to Wes for sure. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I think for for I mean, just kind of returning to Chris. I mean, when he was having that slow first first half, I think you know a lot of us, even those of us who are you know proponents, fans, whatever of Chris, um, you know, I mean, yeah, th- there have been games, especially when he plays against really good defenders who are athletic. I mean, like Simmons, Thibault. Um, you know, like th- that can be hard for Chris because he obviously doesn't have just the ability to, to be explosive and attack the rim and kind of get, get cheap points or whatever. Um, 
But uh, so to see him kind of bounce back and, and kind of get into the game, have that big third quarter um, and keep making plays in the fourth quarter, I thought that was obviously, um, you know, really encouraging to see. And, and again, I mean, I don't, don't want to act like, oh, this is, again, this is the new Chris Middleton, who, you know, still plays well every night, whatever. Um, you know, it, it's just important to see, important to see him play well against, you know, the, the kind of better teams that the Bucks are facing. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Chris. And certainly tonight, I think, um, you know, again, just good to um, remind the Sixers that, uh, you know, don't uh, – as much as they've been terrible on the road all season, um, they obviously know that they can beat the Bucks at home. So good to remind them, like, yeah, you know, you might get up for this game, but – um, the Bucks. Bucks had every reason to play play hard tonight and try to exact some revenge. And um, obviously, you know, you want to hold serve in these situations at a minimum, and, and certainly that's what they did. And uh, I, I should just quickly mention that that's uh, Aussie uh, Matisse Thibel we're talking about here on the uh, podcast, a, a great Australian. And uh, let's hope that he doesn't uh, hurt the Bucks in any big games. So I will have to pretend that he's not Australian. Did you, but did you did you explain to do people did you did you explain this because like, we recorded last night and then you know the, our audio was lost and you had to re-record. Did you explain your whole because I didn't I didn't know about it until we were talking about it uh, yesterday before the pod I think but. Um, your whole Matisse Thibel Australian thing. Have, have you explained this to people? No. So I, w- I was actually sitting uh, next to J.R. Radcliffe tonight from the Journal Sentinel and I, I, I tweeted Aussie Matisse and he was just like, what? He's like, what are you talking about? And I, I think that that's the pretty common reaction. It, there was some talk around draft time that he had lived in Australia and there was a, some question marks over whether he had Australian citizenship or, or what the deal was. It's really only been in the last two or three weeks that it's, it's come out that, yeah, he, he does have Australian citizenship. He spent quite a bit of time uh, living in Sydney when he was younger. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he could, uh, or he is obviously eligible to play uh, for Australia in the Olympics. And then obviously Brett Brown is the Australian coach. So, uh, you know, as a uh, as a as an Australian who wants to see Australia do well in the Olympics, I'm I'm kind of excited about the the, the possibility of a, a defensive lineup with Simmons, uh, Thibel, Aaron Baines, Joe Ingles. It's uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So yeah, it's it's not really well known, but uh, I guess- we got it. We got to give a shout out to Giannis. We always, you know, we we try to keep ourselves honest here. Um, so uh, Giannis last uh, five games here. 36 and 20, 34 and 17, 30 and 19, 31 and 16, 30 and 16. Every one of these games, he's had between six and nine assists as well. Um, I mean, geez, you know, and the funny part is he's not even, his three ball has really been, his three ball has really been abandoning him of late. Um, But uh, I mean, Jesus, this dude is, I mean, whatever, you know, I, I think, I think our audience understands that Giannis is just from a different planet, but um, you know, we, we, we just cannot take this stuff for granted. Like what he's doing is just, just unreal. No, I, like I sort of said at the start, you, you just saw him. I mean, this is the team that, that more than any other was built to stop him. You already said it. Uh, there isn't a Giannis stopper out there because eventually he's going to wear you down. And like I said, he was settling from the outside early and then it just felt like he just said, uh, stuff it. I'm, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm, I'm, I didn't play well on Christmas Day. I haven't had necessarily the best start here. I'm just going to start dunking on everyone. I'm going to start just uh, relentlessly getting into the paint. And what he ended up putting up was just a, a, a huge line. I mean, he, he's incredible. And I, I think when we talk about Giannis stoppers, maybe that is the best segue because I, I, I said something today and I, I still think it's true. You look at the trade deadline, the Bucks made no moves. Uh, the, the, the rumors and the speculation about the Bucks really, really died down in the lead up to the deadline. There was really no talk at all. Uh, not a huge surprise that they didn't make a move. I did think that they were trying uh, to move that pick and I, I still understand that that was the case, but in the end, they may just not have had the assets to get any of those deals uh, that I thought possibly could get done. So uh, the Bucks stand pat for now, obviously, buyout season. We'll see whether they get involved there. But Miami really, is when you look at the East, was the team that made the, the real move. And, and I commented that there's a reason they're getting bigger or getting big bodies, big defensive bodies to uh, 
with a stretch run is probably to stop Giannis. And uh, I know people sort of said the same as you. Well, there isn't a Giannis stopper. And, and Iggy and uh, Jay Crowder, the two guys they got, aren't exactly uh, tall. But as you already pointed to, remember, like we look at a guy like Wes Matthews who's defended LeBron, defended Kawhi. That is two big bodies. And are they actually going to be able to stop Giannis? Probably not over the course of a seven-game series. But if you're coming up against the Bucs and you know your only way to the finals is through um, Milwaukee, you need as many bodies as you can. I think Miami got better. I mean, you don't think they're going to miss Dion Waiters? You don't, you don't think they're going to miss <laughs> I mean, <Dion> come on. <laughs> I mean, the irony is um, one of the people they traded away today, James Johnson, is, you know, Pause, yeah. not, maybe not in the last year, but in previous years, James Johnson frustrated Giannis yeah. about as much as everyone, especially when he was out there with Whiteside. You know, we saw Giannis have just a string of really tough outings. Um, maybe not, maybe tailed a little bit into the Budenholzer era, but especially while Jason Kidd was here, um, Giannis often kind of struggled when, with James Johnson's combination of, you know, size and strength. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, at, when we recorded last night, the talk was that they were also going to be honing, you know, zoning in on, on getting Danilo Gallinari. And to me, that would have been the big haul because. Sure. Gallinari, I mean, again, obviously he's not, uh, you know, a guy who's defensively going to scare you. Although I think he's actually been, he's had to defend Giannis a fair bit. And I think he's been more competitive maybe than people would, would assume. I think, you know, again, he's not a small guy. He's 6'10". Um, and, you know, he'll fight. He'll, he'll try at least. Um, but, you know, him being kind of that stretch four type guy, um, you know, especially the way Giannis tries to linger off of uh, his man uh, on defense. You know, he's the guy that you could have seen having some games if you've had to play in the playoffs. You know, Delano Garnari can certainly win playoff games with his ability to, to score and, um, and put it on the floor and, and be pretty dynamic with the ball. So to me, the big story, I, I, I viewed it more as the Heat didn't get Danilo Gallinari. So yeah. I, I kind of was like sort of pleased in that regard. Um, and Iguodala and Crowder are interesting because certainly they're, you know, useful um, kind of, you know, at this point, kind of hybrid forward wing defender types. Uh, Crowder, if I recall correctly, I don't think he shot the ball well at all this year. Um, and Iguodala, obviously, he's been typically a pretty good, like, corner three guy, but, um, you know, is weirdly kind of, I mean, you talk about Giannis getting worse at the free throw, and Iguodala sort of weirdly became a, like, really shaky free throw shooter and, very much a, a role player offensively after obviously being much more of a, a bigger offensive uh, type player when he was younger, especially in Philly. But um, I don't know. I mean, Iguodala hasn't played this year, right? So I think there's the assumption that he can just kind of be dusted off and still be a really good player. Um, you know, would I rather the Heat not have him? Um, I guess. But, you know, Justice Winslow is a pretty interesting player himself who just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And, Obviously, they gave up on him. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I would say this: like, you know, I respect the Heat. I don't think I wouldn't say I, I fear the Heat in a playoff matchup. Um, and I think looking at kind of the guys they added, the guys they took away, I don't know. I, I don't know if it. I don't know how much it, it really matters um, against a, a potential Bucks matchup. But uh, you know, certainly they're they're going for it. And uh, I guess we'll see kind of kind of how it how it all shakes out. But uh, yeah, certainly Miami probably had as much attention as anyone. But you know, ultimately, maybe the biggest move was was the one they weren't able to pull off. When sounds like uh, Gallinari wanted more years on his extension, and the Heat, so much famously, uh, do not want to be giving up guaranteed money in yeah, the yeah, yeah. Giannis potential free agency year. So. Um, Anyway, I, I think everybody knows our thoughts on that. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely a, a very active deadline for the Heat, uh, even though maybe they didn't get everything they wanted. So just a, a quick update with some of the other teams. The Clippers pulled off a move to get Marcus Morris again. Uh, it's a guy that's obviously shot the ball really, really well, uh, well over 40% from three on the season. Catch and shoot uh, scenarios, he's been one of the best in the league. Uh, so they get an Olympic body as well. Again, uh, you know, defensively, if if you're in the West, like I said, you're going to be looking at LeBron and AD. And then if you get through to the finals, uh, I mean, we certainly hope that then you're dealing with Giannis. So the Clippers make a move there. Interesting that uh, 
Philadelphia, which which came through as I was recording last night. They pick up Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third. Uh, they end up uh, waving uh, Trey Burke, who's actually played some decent games for them off the bench, and also uh, trading James Ennis. And uh, yeah, well, actually, it sounded like Tobias Harris revealed in the locker room post game that Jonah Bolden, the Australian, will be on the way out uh, as well. Uh, so the Sixers add a couple of shooters, and look, we we saw tonight when you look at this team. Uh, their second unit, I mean, it's super limited. I mean, Korkmaz is a guy that obviously uh, will get up threes, and we saw on Christmas Day he can knock them down. But some of the other guys with Thiebel, Mike Scott, uh, not really threats offensively. So, uh, look, they had a couple of guys that they'll bring in off the bench. I don't think that they're <laughs> players that the Bucks are going to fear defensively. And this is where it's interesting because this is the thing where the Sixers is like, okay, you can add some more shooters but what you end up doing is taking away defensively what you're what you're trying to do, and and I, I don't know. I'm just not sure whether this is a is a big upgrade in any any sort of fashion for the uh, for the Sixers, even though both guys have been scoring pretty well on an obviously awful uh, Golden State team. And the other team that that for the Bucks, I mean, the Raptors did nothing. The Celtics did nothing. Uh, the the Boston Celtics, obviously, you would think are going to be looking at the buyout market, and they're probably hoping that Tristan Thompson is the guy who now is paired with Andre Drummond in Cleveland. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. The Cavs are saying that they're not going to buy out uh, Tristan Thompson, which uh, I think if you're a, a Bucks fan, you're feeling good about that. You don't want the Celtics adding a guy for, for nothing. So ultimately not a lot of change in the East. And uh, if the Bucks weren't going to do something, I think that's all you could ask for. Yeah. I think, you know, there was talk of the, Celtics pushing hard for Davis Bertans, who I, I didn't, I mean, it just, uh, as much as it might've seemed like posturing initially when Washington said that they didn't want to trade him and they want to resign him. <coughs> um, you know, I was still happy to see <laughs> that he is still in Washington because he's the kind of guy that uh, would have been uh, real scary to see in a playoff series. Right. I mean, he's the kind of guy that just can get so hot stretching the floor and especially given what we've talked about with the bucks. Um, some of their vulnerability to, to stretch four, stretch fives. Um, yeah, happy to see the Celtics not at him or, um, you know, anybody else in terms of just like a, a big body that uh, can maybe, you know, keep, keep teams honest in terms of rim protection. So not to say that there aren't potentially some, some buyout moves that, that might happen. Uh, you know, you alluded to it. I think very happy if it is the case that Tristan Thompson, if, you know, I will happily see Tristan Thompson stay in Cleveland, even though, let's be honest, I also don't view Tristan Thompson as some sort of Giannis stopper or something yeah. like that either. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, the Bucks have the best record in the league. The less things change, the, the better you feel. And um, I think, you know, you look at um, kind of the other teams, I mean, you know, L.A. not really making a, a, a Kuzma-related move I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, I I don't think Kuzma is particularly special. I think, again, he's a guy kind of can get hot and win you a game here and there. But, um, you know, again, he's kind of a less than ideal fit, uh, I think, with LeBron and AD and kind of the way that those that they like to go big with, with the traditional center on that defense. And so, yeah, I think the Lakers kind of standing pat, Boston standing pat, Raptors standing pat, and, um, you know, the Heat not making a, a move that netted them another, you know, sort of star. <coughs> um, yeah, I think you have to feel pretty okay about it. Now, the flip side, we haven't talked about the Bucks not doing anything. I mean, we obviously talked about the Bucks didn't have to do anything, um, especially with no one else <laughs> really doing anything other than the Clippers. And I think the Morris move is interesting because I think, as you said, he's been really good this year. He's a talented player can play both ways, but um, also, I mean, he's a jerk, thinks he's awesome, ball stopper uh, on a team full of ball stoppers, more or less. Um, so that's an interesting mix, you know. I was listening to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo kind of do some trade breakdown stuff, and, you know, he, <laughs> Bill made a comment about, uh, you know, with a minute left in the game, Marcus Morris thinks he should probably take the shot over Kawhi, right? And, uh yeah, he probably does think that. And, you know, that's part of what makes him a good player. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, you know, that, that's a big reason why I always struggled with the idea of, you know, hey, he could fit in positionally really well with the Bucks, But 
you know, just the way the Bucks like to play and the good vibes they have. Marcus Morris, I don't know if that's really going to keep the good vibes going. So that, that could work out well. It may not work out so well. But um, I think for the Bucks, here's my only comment for the Bucks. I mean, again, as we said, they didn't have to make a move. I was a little surprised that we have Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson both still on this team. I thought they might make a move just to, you know, jettison perhaps DJ and the salary that's owed him next year, or, um, you know, potentially Sterling as well, just given that he obviously hasn't fit in and uh, hasn't been able to carve out a, a rotation role and is a restricted free agent this summer. Um, so, um, you know, again, not a surprise that there wasn't a big move. Um, but I think the most interesting kind of angle on this is, you know, part of the obvious appeal this summer, uh, or part of, well, not appeal, I'll say part of the argument for, you know, not bringing back Malcolm Brogdon was, hey, you pick up a first-round pick and, you know, you can't really close the door on what that, you know, the Bucks kind of, you know, again, the, the argument that they cheaped out and didn't want to pay the tax and hurt their team, hurt the team, you know, the, uh, the kind of argument is, well, let's see what they do with that first-round pick. And, you know, we obviously focus a lot on what could they do, what kind of talent could they add. Um, and so I think the fact that they hold on to that pick, again, doesn't mean you got to give it away for somebody who's not worth it. Right. Um, but you know, again, this is where you're always opened up for criticism. If the bucks fall short one way or another, then again, part of the kind of, um, what, what could have been, I think argument will be what, what could they have gotten with that first round pick? Right. I think right now the India pick would slot in about number 18 in the first round, you know, weak draft. So not a great draft, obviously. Um, but it's an interesting question. Like, could they have gotten somebody that might make some difference in, in some way or another? Again, tough to say. We don't know really what was, what was on offer. Um, but uh, certainly right now they'll go into draft night. Uh, well, not necessarily draft night. They'll go into the offseason with that pick. And again, it's an opportunity to, to add a young piece for next year uh, or potentially make a move this summer. But um, obviously it's not going to be a, a, an asset that's going to help them this year, which uh, obviously, you know, that was one of the things we were kind of interested to see if it, if it would work out. But as it stands, they're just going to have to <laughs> settle for the guys they've got, which I'm sure they feel just fine about. But, um, you know, again, it, it, act, both action and inaction uh, can spur debate. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll hear plenty of that uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, ultimately, it's kind of interesting because I, I do feel that uh, the pick was one of the only things they, they sort of had, one of the assets they had uh, that had value right now in terms of being able to trade that and a team gets uh, some sort of uh, uh, you know player for that in the immediate future, in the coming months. I, I think that we saw probably, and this is just speculation, but the fact that Sterling, when he has played, I mean, the, the opportunities have been few and far between. Uh, he hasn't really impressed. And we just haven't seen DJ at all. We know he was sent down to the G League uh, just last week. And we sort of spoke about this a little bit. Like maybe, uh, you know, you want to find out what you got in DJ. And I know that you're not just going to be giving someone minutes that uh, you don't want to play for for any old reason. But uh, there's no question that uh, DJ sitting on the bench, I don't think helped uh, his value around the league at all. And ultimately, uh, I think the Bucks, in terms of deals, that were around and, and a possibility. I, I think maybe they didn't have uh, enough in the asset uh, chamber to be able to pull one of those off. So uh, we'll see now. Like I said, I mean, the buyout market is going to be there. I would kind of be surprised if the Bucks get involved in that. But also, uh, you don't really know until the next couple of weeks now and see who's available. And maybe uh, there's a guy that, that, that becomes uh, there that they can uh, slot right into the rotation. But as was the case last year when the Bucks were looking at guys, and funnily enough, Wes Matthews was one of them, uh, it becomes a hard sell for the Bucks because, you know, there's just not that many minutes there for anyone. So if you get a guy that uh, is a buyer candidate, potentially wants to make some money in the summer, are you going to come to a Milwaukee team where you're not going to play? Maybe you'll go somewhere else uh, where maybe you won't win a championship, but you'll get some minutes, uh, maybe put up some some good stats, and then get some money in the, in the off season, which uh, you know ultimately is is sometimes what these guys are trying to do. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, a lot of the guys that um, that we talked about as far as potential targets to use that first round pick is, is you know essentially the ammunition to acquire 
Um, you know, Luke Kennard, we've talked a little bit about uh, in the last week or so. Uh, he obviously doesn't get moved. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who we've probably devoted the most, uh, you know, of our breath uh, discussing for, for months, uh, going back to early in the season. Uh, he ends up not being moved. Sacramento gets off some salary with the Dwayne Dedman trade and, you know, essentially put them in a spot where they can basically keep him this summer and not really kind of have the same salary crunch that they might have had previously. So he's not moved. Um, and, you know, really kind of you know, of the guys that we talked about, it's potential first round pick fodder. I mean, Covington, maybe he was obviously traded in the Rockets deal. Um, I, I don't know if there was anybody else that kind of, we spent a lot of time talking about that, you know, ultimately was moved. Um, and uh, yeah. So again, uh, not a situation necessarily where I can say, oh, I wanted the Bucks to get that guy and they got, you know, outbid when they shouldn't have. Right. Like if there was some, you know, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, obviously Bucks, I, I had no interest in the Bucks, I had no interest in Andre Drummond, but there are probably some teams out there looking at what, what Detroit got for Andre Drummond, <clears throat> nothing. Um, and saying, Man, couldn't couldn't we have offered that, right? I think Zach Lowe talked about like Charlotte, like they could have probably pretty easily uh, topped uh, the Cleveland offer for for Andre Drummond. There's really nobody like that. That I don't. Know, there's nobody obvious like that for me. Um, that's out there. Where it's like, oh, that team got that guy, and the Bucks should have could have easily topped that offer, right? Which is usually where the most frustration comes when you talk about the trade market. So, um, yeah, the Bucks will roll with the guys they've got and. Um, at a minimum, we won't have to, I guess, worry about, you know, oh, what, what chemistry change could happen from, from making a move? And, you know, did, did some, some move that we thought was going to help them actually end up hurting them? Obviously, uh, for the Bucks this season, um, you know, uh, keep on keeping on, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's ultimately where they were, even though I think there was a fair bit of activity in terms of looking at potential deals. But, um, you know, ultimately, Bucks did not see anything that they felt compelled enough to, uh, to move forward with. And, um, you know, good to see them uh, respond post deadline with, uh, with yet another win, taking down a Philly team that obviously, uh, let's just say we all enjoy seeing the Bucks get some revenge on. One twelve one Oh one was the final in this one. Uh, we mentioned his stat line and, probably about six times during this podcast, but uh, we can do it again. Giannis finishes with 36 points, 20 rebounds, six assists. The Bucks are 44 and seven. They're going for a trip down to Orlando. I think that uh, I've already heard some chatter. Uh, I don't know what the players are going to do. I, I, I'm tipping the Lopez brothers might uh, get to Disney uh, and maybe tomorrow night. I know they're going to fly down there uh, tomorrow or today, I guess, Friday uh, that will be. So the Bucks will look to pick up win number 45. But for now, for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys next time.